are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. My name is Colin Austin, and my official new co-host We're calling this official is now. Michael Dees. You guys, welcome him to the show. Yeah, I need like a little clap. Eh. I did it. Hey, um, so uh, let me let me kind of give everybody a little bit of background on what's going on. You know, Ty has been such a huge piece of getting helping me get this podcast going. Um, he was in episode one. If you don't know who Ty is, like go literally go watch episode one. That was the episode where he and Peyton came in because I was like, yo, I got these new toys. Let's play. <laughs> <laughs> and we literally recorded an episode just for fun, just to like toy around with the stuff. And I was like, man, that was actually kind of good. Let's release that as episode one. And then I said, Ty, I was like, you should be my co-host on this thing, man, because, you know, we, we have the same passion, the same vision for Gainesville. And, um, you know, it was, it was a vital play a vital role in this podcast over the last year and um, and I'm forever grateful to him for that but Ty has just got a lot of amazing opportunities <coughs> coming to him um, he's doing like I mean he's teaching golf he's like playing golf he's he's traveling all over the world and I think just the the ability to try to get him here once a week <laughs> is now like too too troublesome for him. Um, and, and I live here. So. Yeah, <laughs> and you live here, and you work in this building, and it makes things a little bit easier. But um, but no, I mean, I talked to him last week, and he was like, "Man, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep keep it up just because of all the stuff." So I'm trying to even I'm trying to just even see if I can get him back here just to kind of say bye, kind of give us a little bit of a like, "Hey, what's been happening over the last yeah, couple seriously. months?" Because I mean, if you have haven't watched his travels on Instagram or anything. It's been it's been pretty pretty awesome, um, but uh, but anyway, I just wanted to one publicly thank Ty for everything that he's done one for like for Gainesville and that it continues to do to do for Gainesville and through the Best of Gainesville Instagram account. So make sure you go follow Best of Gainesville on Instagram. Um, but for helping me get this baby started and get this baby going, um, you know it's it was it was fun. So. It continues to be fun for me, and I know that he wishes he could be here, but um, just super excited for all the things that he has got got going on. So mad, mad love for Ty Rickarian. So what's going on, Mike? Are you are you ready to fill those shoes? Yeah, I mean, like now, now <laughs> I mean, you got me like I've done what maybe ten episodes now, and now I'm like sweating over here. I'm like, man, there's <laughs> big shoes to fill. I mean, Ty was awesome, so it's 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 cool to see what he's doing. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to be here. Hope. Uh, my perspective on things offers some good and good questions inside anything, but yeah. But uh, now we're getting ready to head into summer, like big, yeah. time, big time. This episode comes out when June 10th, so June 10th. we're like into summertime now. Yeah, and so this time of year for us, like there's a little bit of team transition. There's team members that are graduating, stuff like that. We're saying, did you have a lot of people graduate? Uh, we had a couple, yeah, yeah, yeah. So some, some new faces, and then you get like our faces. summer guys, Dan. Yeah, we get some come back to me. <laughs> come back to me. That's always fun. I was a come back to me once. So. Yeah, we have this team member. His name's Daniel, and he comes back for the summer, and he's great. Like he's amazing. Yeah, he's here every fantastic summer. Fantastic tech. Yeah, so. he just comes back and works for the summer, and then it gets to fall, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna go focus on class again." It's like, well, that was fun. Yeah, but, cool. 
Well, good. dude, I'm excited about this episode. Are you ready to get yeah, into it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's All do right, it. let me, let me, everybody, world, let me introduce to you our amazing, incredible guest with six paragraphs of intro right here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was giving Mark a hard time for this, for this intro. He's been You guys, long intros are, are difficult for me because I feel like I have to read them first and then, like, get my mindset for the flow of it. No, but this is, this is really good. So, you guys... We have a, a good friend of mine, Mark Davidson, founder of Tech Toy Box Incorporated, a nonprofit focused on teaching individuals how to go from idea to prototype by developing a real prototype for a real inventor. They believe no idea should go untested for the lack of a tool. And he is also the co-founder of Make.Work LLC, a new kind of accelerator with training and resources to enable new companies to manufacture their own product and develop a solid manufacturing process from the start. Mark, what's up, man? That's a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> it is, you wrote it. No, that's good though, I like that. I mean, it definitely explained, we need, I mean, I feel like sometimes I need to do a, a better job of like explaining what, like why the guest is here and like what they do. And sometimes I'm just like, yo, Mark Davidson's in the house. <laughs> what up? <laughs> so what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. We're busy. We're, yeah. uh, we're yeah. having fun. Do you guys like slow down when the like summer gets here? No, uh, no you're just no, cranking all the time. Summers are our busy, busy season. We actually had to cut back. You know, we bring in interns just to, so they can learn how to, how to build stuff. Yeah. And uh, last summer we had almost 30 and that was probably too many. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot of. Uh, you got to manage all of them. Uh, well, I have a I have a shop manager and yeah. a project manager, so yeah, no, I can't do all of that. I got a team. <laughs> cool. Well, you know, you've seen our format a little bit, right? Yeah. So, like, we like to start with like the origin story, kind of take yeah. us back. How did you get into everything that you've been that you've done over the years, and that that's led you to this point of having these businesses? I mean, I would love to hear a little bit about it, and then from sure. there, I'm just going to ask you a million questions because that's what cool. happens. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I, you know, I when I was growing up, I always thought of myself, oh, I'm not a business guy. I'm a techie, right? I and I d didn't realize what all the stuff I was doing was actually setting me up to run businesses. And I uh, got into college and I started having businesses on the side. Just constant side businesses, consulting. Graduated, went to grad school, graduated all, all here in Gainesville. And uh, um, I started working in labs and always had a business on the side. And so fast forward now, I, I'm I actually got a job. I was I, I started a company right after I graduated. Ran that full time for about four years, um, and then uh, at some point, my wife says at the, at the time she said, "Well, you know, I don't like this income really high one month and really low the next month. And this guy's offering you a job in uh, material science at UF. So I took a faculty position at UF, kept my side businesses going, but uh, um, and I was a, at UF, ran a research center." bunch of grad students and stuff uh, for about 20 some years, 23 years. Dang, okay. Um, and it was kind of a confluence, you know, it, good research programs are run kind of like a small business, right? You, you, about every year or two you sit down and you say, okay, what am I good at? What are we, where are we going? What's the community need? What does the research world need? And you sort of realign. It was during one of those times in you know, probably around 2002, 2003, it occurred to me that the research center that I was, had built or had helped build, we had shops, 
we had electronics going, we had the ability to do research, to, to, to figure out problems. And I said, you know, every garage startup that I've ever done, what do you have to do? You have to put together a shop, you gotta build the prototype. And I've done consulting a lot of times. And what, are, and, and what like the number one reason that I see early stage garage startups fail, and this is a compilation, but it's happened at least a dozen times that I've seen. They, great idea, they, but they don't know how to build it, right? So what do they do? They say, well, you know, there's people who do that. So they go out and they spend 20 grand that they don't have getting plans made, drawn up. They've got this vision of what their product's gonna be. They now spend another 60 or 80 grand with all, all those plans. They send them all over the world. They get these beautiful parts back. They sit in their garage, they assemble it, and they have that gorgeous box that doesn't work, right? Why didn't it work? Well, they didn't know the glue was gonna turn their lens purple or that you know this electronics doesn't work with that software. All the problems you don't know about until you build it. And so my mantra has always been when, it was, when I work with a company or start a company, build the ugly one first. <laughs> you just gotta make it work, right? You don't need to, that's what you need to do on your own dime, right? Once you have something that's working and you verified a market for it, now you can go find an angel to help you out, get you to the next level, get it to where it's manufacturable. So the problem is, right, now you're three months down the road, 100 grand in debt, and your spouse says, that's enough of that, get a job. <laughs> and so it happens over and over and over again. And I said, well, I, you know, we have this center here, this research center, we do research, but we have all the same facilities that we do to support our research, we'll build these prototypes. We've got a, you know, 60,000 students who half of them are looking for something to pad their resume with and they want to build stuff. It's needed, we have the resources. I went to David Day, at the time head of OTL, and I said, hey, you've got all these patents sitting on the shelf. I've got a few of them myself. They're sitting there because they don't have a prototype. Throw me a few bucks to buy materials. I'm gonna bring in two or three interns to, to build a project, and I'm gonna give them three months. Just build it, make it work. Not pretty, make it work. Wildly successful. We cranked out a bunch of stuff. There's actually patents that are out there on the market now being sold now that have prototypes because of that program at UF. You and these know. are some of these are ideas that were put on a shelf, or like these are ideas that they're coming to you guys. They're um, they're coming to you guys with. No, mostly like, mostly they were you at that time. Mostly, you know, probably two thirds, three three quarters of them were um, patents that UF owned, mm. but couldn't license because they hadn't been proven out to the level that you know somebody would actually be interested. Got it. So um, as an example, we worked with, uh, back then we worked with Mike Oaken and Kelly Foote, um, neurologist, neurosurgeon who do deep brain stimulation. They had a problem with the little clamp, the commercial clamp made by Medtronics that you know, holds the lead in place on somebody's skull. They had a couple of problems brought me in and said, here, watch what, watch what our problem is, went in and watched a surgery, and I said, well, we know how to fix that. So we came up with an invention that's still you know, being marketed and, and has a lot of interest, and uh, it, it's just a better way to hold the, hold the lead for deep brain stimulation. Once the, once the electrodes put into the middle of the brain, it needs to stay where they put it. Yeah. And so we came up with a way to do that. Um, the, uh, the, 
that's the kind of thing that we did. And then we, you know, went back to my my uh, research center and said, okay, you know, you three, here's some here's some scraps. Make something that will show how this works. And we did. The uh, eventually it got to a point where just with the you know university is a much more restrictive environment and and well, we're getting lots of requests from outside the university which we were meeting and we were a, a service center so we could charge for a company to come in and say to build something for a company but the university was kind of shifting their focus and and uh, making some changes and and they said well you know we don't really want you working outside the university and I said well you know that's really where the need is mm-hmm. we need to be working I'm, I'm a Gainesville guy I'm a UF guy too, but I'm a Gainesville guy in the bigger picture, and 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 I had started thinking this as you know what we're doing, what we're talking about is reducing a barrier, dropping a barrier for somebody taking an idea to market, right? That first barrier is it's the, it's the technology valley of death, right? How do you go from idea to something in your hand that works, and. And it's where companies fail. It's you know here's a way that we can not only get them over that valley, but we at the same time we're using two or three people who want to learn how to do a garage startup, and we're showing them how to do this creative process. And it's not pure science. It's not pure art. There's a creativity aspect where there's an aha moment, just like you know an artist would say, "Oh, I see the you know I see the art there." It's this weird balance between art and art and science that is something that can be taught, but it requires experience, just like any skill, right? You need to you need to practice it. And it's scary for somebody who hasn't been in a shop to say, how do I, how do, I do this? So I, at that point, I started saying, well, maybe we need to spin this out of the UF. And I started the Tech Toy Box. Um, started as a nonprofit because I want What year was that? Uh, 20... 12 or 13, somewhere around okay. there. Started in my garage. <laughs> and uh, the uh, like every good startup should. Um, and just started collecting tools. I had had a bunch of, bunch of tools and shop stuff to uh, from my businesses over the years. I just started gathering it together and saying, okay, you know, here's, here's how we're going to build this. We'd outsource stuff until we got... You know, if we didn't have the right tool, we'd outsource it. And, but the the main thing is we're interacting with the inventors and we're bringing in people. Um, hooked up with Doug Jones pretty pretty early. Um, really love the way that he his his vision is. And, yeah, for uh, sure. When he uh, when when they were negotiating with the city to take over management with of uh, the G Tech Center, I said, "You take it over, and I'll move in." And so we've been actually in G Tech, and we're we're about to to grow out of that space. I think um, we still have tight uh, collaboration with Santa Fe's programs, and and uh, so now we've grown to to where we're we're going to be moving in with the Make That Work, which is downtown in the in the old Discount Hi-Fi building. Yeah, and uh, that's a, we're that's an up and coming area, man, with the yeah. Depot Park and the. Cade right yep. there. I mean, it is looking beautiful. I was there last night. Absolutely gorgeous. And there's a lot of stuff happening. We actually have uh, two and a half acres there. And we're going to be... That's awesome. Uh, yeah, we're, we're working on developing that property with... So the Make.Work side was the next barrier, right? Um, Trevor and Ty, Spin Chill were one of the inspirations. They they tried to manufacture the Spin Chill locally for a couple of years. And they just couldn't find the talent, the the... the 
you know the and and it's expensive. It's expensive to set up. Sure. And so again, saw companies. I would get them to prototype, and they'd struggle, struggle, struggle. They'd end up manufacturing in China, in spite of the fact it's actually for most products it's cheaper to manufacture in the U.S. now than it is China. Um, since 2012, those lines crossed the average. And uh, but if you talk to any of the manufacturers anywhere in the country, and I've spent a lot of time going around the country talking to people. Um, they can't find the people, right? We, we kind of gave that knowledge away. We said, we're not gonna make anything anymore. And that knowledge is largely gone, right? We've got a, we've got a bunch of people, uh, the old manufacturing engineers are gone, right? So, um, and the other problem is, is capital, right? It takes, let's call it $2 million to set up a manufacturing line. Um, we're talking about companies with no revenue. Yep. Nobody's going to give them two million dollars when they have no revenue and haven't haven't established the the real market for it. So they can't get started. Now, is that because people just don't believe, or we're losing belief in old manufacturing processes? Because you say that, and I see these tech companies, these, <laughs> I mean, I feel like they like, will be like, oh, yeah, I need to raise $2 million in this round for this idea for this app that I have. And I feel like that gets funded all the time. Yeah, it does. So is it a perception a, thing? Of a, there the is a perception problem, and there are some real barriers, right? This, this, this talent, I... And when I say all the time, I'm not yeah. meaning specifically in Gainesville, but like, you know, no, but like this is a nationwide. Yeah, problem. right. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking a, about on the yeah. Mac on the macro, it seems right. like somebody's willing to throw two million dollars at an app versus manufacturing a physical product. Right. And it's because, you know, if you throw two million dollars on an app, um, first of all, it's most apps it is not gonna take them two million dollars, right, to get to the to get to a product. Sure. They're gonna get a, a version one earlier than that. $2 million for a manufacturing is that's just beginning. You're going to put a million and a half in equipment yeah. in place. And, you know, so the, there was a, uh, there was an interview on 60 minutes a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago, Tim Cook got interviewed. And, uh, at one point in the interview, you can look this up. It's online. At one point in the interview, Tim Cook says we can manufacture iPhones cheaper in the U S than we can in China. And he says, well, why don't you? He says, I can put every tool and die maker in the country in this room, and it takes three football stadiums in China to hold them. So that's the problem, is that, again, I, I sit on the manufacturing council here for the, for the chamber in town, and every manufacturer in this area that I've met, has their number one problem is finding people. Finding people who have enough training that they won't break the equipment on the first day, mm. right? So it's a it's a nationwide problem. It's one that's finally recognized. I I, I was uh, part of several workshops and the White House workshops on exactly this problem, um, and it's 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 widely recognized. But there's there's the there's not a good solution out there, right? We're talking about apprenticeship programs and things like that. That's that's helping, but what we need, what we basically need, is shop class, right? We don't do shop class. Half of my equipment in uh, in our new facility came out of shop classes that were shutting down. We hit the auctions and say we need a such and such. 
you know, drive to Pinellas County, come back with some sheet metal equipment. Hmm. And so those are the problems that we're seeing for companies that really want to manufacture. They want to create those jobs. It's cheaper for them to manufacture. There's lots of hassles with manufacturing in China that you hear all the time. And not just China, it's overseas. That yeah, just yeah. happens to be the biggest one. But it's, uh, um, and there's there's only two reasons that I can see that that are the barriers, right? This is a theme in my life. Find a barrier, drop it. Find a barrier, drop it. That's that's what I do. And and I kept hearing this from our clients. And I, and I said, we can do something about that. We know how to teach. I love teaching, right? We know how to teach people to do stuff. We need a facility, you know, to to teach them on. Well, what better facility than a place where you're manufacturing? And these the companies, the startup company, doesn't need that manufacturing line 100% of the time. They're not going to work three shifts on that line. They're going to work you know, one shift a week on the CNC to crank out all the parts, and the rest of the time is stuffing them in the box and doing assembly, right, which is handwork. So so why do we need a, a separate line? And so the concept is, and this is what we're building at Make.Work, is let's put a general purpose manufacturing line. Let's put the big high capital equipment in place. We'll maintain it. We'll teach you how to run it. We're, we're very consciously making a distinction. We're not going to build stuff for companies. We're in the business of teaching companies how to build their own product on our equipment. We put in all of the certifications on the line so that the company can come in. Now, instead of raising $2 million, they raise 200000 and they've, they're selling product in two or three months. That's, that's a whole different paradigm. There's, there's a I've, I've looked a lot. There's no other facility that's doing doing this. It's kind of a new thing, so we're kind of stumbling around in the dark a little bit. There's one uh, group in Pittsburgh that uh, friends with the founder who's doing something similar. Came at it from the other direction. She she was a consultant with large companies trying to onshore manufacturing, bring manufacturing back. Couldn't find talent, hmm. and so there's a there's a facility in Pittsburgh that they've built very similar to what we're building, that where they're training individuals to manufacture product. And they're also working as an incubator as well so that they'll bring in a small company um, and help them manufacture their product. So, so that's kind of the... So do you see yourself as like one trying to develop the talent or just really focusing on bringing people's ideas to, to life? It's two different missions. That's why it's two separate companies, right? The, the bring the idea to to a prototype, that's Tech Toy Box. Got it. And we're really focused on the education there. We're, we, you know, the, the, the products that we bring in, the projects that we bring in, we look at those as a platform. It's a platform for, for teaching. Um, they're all real projects, right? There's value for everybody involved here. You know, the, these uh, these companies and, and individuals are getting their prototypes made for probably a tenth the cost that it would that it would cost if they could find somebody to do it. You know, it's um, sometimes there's you, you just need a, it's more of a research program than it is a, a here draw some plans and build it. Yeah, um, there's always unknowns, right? And and part of our motto is our part of our our mantra is, you know, if you if you've built a widget. And you decide, well, I need a leg on it. 
we don't want to go back to the drawing board. We don't want to make any new drawings. We want to walk over to the welder, which is right next to us, and weld another leg on. It's not pretty. You know, you're going to get an ugly leg, but it works, right? You've solved the problem, and, and you've said, now you can take that ugly one and say, okay, how do I make this in a version that someone will buy? And that's 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 our mantra. We don't want to spend, uh, as you know, there, the, what kills you in, in business is time, right? It's taken a long time is money, and you, you run out of money before you get to a product. And so having that rapid turnaround, which means you have to have all the tools right there. We don't want to, we don't want to ever let an idea go untested for lack of a tool. We want to walk over and do it. So we, um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the story. It's a long yeah, story, yeah. but it's kind no, of meanders. But it's, it's, a, it's a story of, of seeing a barrier for a lot of people. And right now, the, the, you know, for the, the manufacturing side, the make work side, I look at it societally, there's, there's a barrier. We've got, you know, this is one of, the, one of the highest poverty levels in the country, right? Alachua County is crazy high poverty. Why is that? We don't have any middle class jobs here. Very few. And where those traditionally have been is in the manufacturing sector. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I didn't even say we're, I, I don't know. I just look at it and I'm like, maybe we're, you know, we're just, we're just in a tech age. We're in this age of, you know, all these kids mm-hmm. are growing up with tablets in their hands. Yeah. And the, even, I mean, I, luckily my kids enjoy even going outside and like riding a bike but I mean we've seen it even within the scooter dealership over I mean I've been doing this since 2004 right I mean we used to go like we used to sell a scooter Mm -hmm. we would give them a little bit of training right Mm -hmm. it's like oh we bought a scooter okay let's go outside we just run through the features really quick spend 10 minutes with them Mm -hmm. and then send them on their merry little way just like riding a bike. It's just like <laughs> just riding, like a, riding bike. a bike. Yeah. And over the years, what I found out, I'm like, I look at Mike and I go, oh shit. I'm like, these kids aren't riding bicycles anymore. No. I'm like, the, the amount of time, mm-hmm. that 10 minute, I mean, you're talking, well, we spent 10 minutes with somebody now turning into an hour, yeah. an hour and a half physically teaching somebody yeah. how to drive a scooter. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like changing and Different I'm like, world, and, yeah. pe- and a lot of, a lot of parents too, they're like, like, you know, so, so you teach them how to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we have like a little lesson that we go through, but listen, when you go buy a car, they don't teach you how to drive the car. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, they expect you to know how. So, but, but we like, that's how you have to focus on safety too. It's no, like of course, of course, like, so it's like, of, of course. But I guess what I'm saying is like, we're not making any money on that. (laughs) Like that time, that's like time spent being where it's like, all right, we're like teaching and like, and training, but it just goes to show that, hey, a lot of the people that we're now selling to Mm -hmm. never really grew up riding a bicycle all of the time. It was, they were very into the technology. Mm -hmm. And and now we're seeing this on a a macro scale where like nobody wants to get their hands dirty. Nobody wants to like, 
I mean, take again, scooter world, like finding mechanics Mm -hmm. is very tough sometimes. It's it's the same population that we're talking about. Yeah, it's the it's laborers. I mean, what you talk about shop class and and like, I mean, is this like, are we literally are like, are we bringing shop class back? Is that a thing still? Is it still happening? Is it like, what are we what are we doing to get ahead of this problem? (laughs) Is there anything happening? Um, apprenticeship programs. That's what people okay. are pushing is apprenticeship programs. Um, the problem is how do, they, how do they decide, right? We used to decide in shop class that, yeah, oh, you know, I really like this machining. And so you'd go get a job as a machinist, right? There's, we don't, we don't give that. We actually teach a, uh, two or three times a year for some at-risk youth, we teach a class that Tech Toybox, we call it Intro to Manufacturing. What it really is, is is four projects on four machines in four days. They walk out with something, and we teach them a little bit of milling and some maybe woodworking, electronics, and welding. You know, we pick and choose from a bunch of different topics. And we have kids that have never touched a tool in their life, right? They get on the welder, and we've sent kids over to, to become welders at the Santa Fe Welding Program, right? Because... They'd never been exposed to it. We used to get exposed to that in shop class. You know, unless you, you, maybe you had a dad or something that would show you tools or things like that. What, and you're exactly right with the tech stuff. And that's what we're seeing, but there's this hunger, right? We don't, we don't teach people, we don't teach engineers how to build stuff. We teach engineers how to draw stuff that somebody else is gonna build, but we've lost the somebody else. Mm. There's nobody to build it, and so, you know, there, people talk about, well, we're going to 3D print everything. Well, that's just not going to happen, right? That's, <laughs> you can't make everything out of foamy, metal pl- foamy yellow plastic, right? It, it just doesn't work that way. It's a tool. I, I get asked all the time, oh, you're a prototyping shop. You, you do 3D printing. I'm not going to lie. That was one of my notes is about 3D printing. 3D printing. <laughs> of course. It's the number one thing, right? It's like I, we have somebody that we work with, one of my, my uh, uh, machinists slash artists, Says, uh, says, you know, we have this image that what we're going to do is to just have a bucket of all the atoms around, and a robot's going to go out and pick it up atom by atom, assemble your car. It's not going to happen, right. right? The Star Trek, the Star Trek uh, fabricator or whatever it was, is not going to. It's not going to happen in our, in our, you know, in the next thousand years. So, it's. Um, my stomach's growling. Sorry, <laughs> I, was, I don't, I don't want it to get recorded on the microphone. So I'm like, let me grab something to eat while we do this. The um, and and what's what's interesting to us is probably a half to three quarters, depending on you know the time of year, of our interns are students from UF and Santa Fe who are in engineering or some other technical field who have never touched a tool. They don't know how, they know how to draw stuff. They can CAD something up in a heartbeat. But it's really easy to CAD something up that can't be built, right? There was, uh, I was talking to a, uh, a machinist, worked for a big medical device manufacturer for decades. He was getting ready to retire. And we were talking about this exact problem, right? He, there was nobody gonna replace him. They were shutting down there fabrication shop because they're going to outsource everything. Yeah, to who is my question. But he said when, when a new engineer would come in, invariably, it's, it's stereotypical, but invariably the engineer would come in and with a 
bunch of CAD drawings and say, build this. And he'd say, his question to them was, do you want me to build that or do you want me to build the one that will work? Mm. And this is a guy with 30 years of experience. He had no college degree. He was not an engineer. He was a machinist. But he had the experience, right? And so what his what his uh, mechanism was that he would settle on, invariably the engineer was, I'm the engineer, you build it like I drew it. And so he would build one like he drew it and one that would work. And you know, the day that he had to present it and it didn't work, he'd say, well, I built this other one for you <laughs> that does work. And then there were buddies, right? Then, right. then this, the- Bailed him out. Yeah. But we don't teach that anymore, right? Even, I, I know I look old, I'm not that old. Even when I was in, in, uh, in school in engineering here at UF, every department had shops. If you were doing research and you needed a hole in something, you walked down and you drilled a hole. Most of those shops are gone now. There's, there's a few left, but there's very limited access to them and, and it's, a, it's, it's a real problem. It's, and, and it's not that our engineers are gonna be machinists. They need to have an understanding of what that process is like so they can build, they can design something that works. They can go down to their tech and say, and, and say, hey, I heard a bearing going bad over here. You don't want them fixing the bearing because they got other stuff to do. But you don't want them going in and, and, and uh, you know, troubleshooting after something's blown up. So we have this strong demand and, and strong need from these students. They're coming in and they're just eating it up. I've got, every day I have two or three students that don't have something else to do and they go over to the welder and they just weld. Building's fun, right? You get to melt metal. There's sparks going everywhere. It's kind of fun, right? And and uh, it's the same thing around here, man. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Anytime the welder comes out, I'm, I I get nervous, and everybody else is having a good old time, sparking metal. Yeah, and they know they know what's possible. That's the, that's ultimately the thing, and what's not possible. So, and almost all interestingly almost all of the interns that go through a program get hired just like that mm. because of that hands-on experience they they get snapped up so so are you the spark that's bringing it all back then i hope so <laughs> yeah, i, I, I mean, hope so. it sounds like it i'm I, you know i'm trying to and and the key to that is listening right it's not I love doing stuff like this and talking about what I've learned, but I've learned it from other people. I learned this by hearing people like Ty and Trevor at Spinchill saying, I can't figure out, I can't find an injection molder that will give me a hundred parts. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't want to talk to me until I'm at a hundred thousand. And so I, things like that, I, you know, in 1990, I could have pointed them to a hundred different injection molding companies that would be glad to do a hundred parts. Hmm. And now there's a few, right? And you gotta seek them out. And there, I think that having those kinds of, and developing those kinds of skills, look, there's a, there's a big manufacturer, believe it or not, in Williston, one of the largest manufacturers of vacuum hardware for semiconductor manufacturing. And, and they do, uh, they had to develop their own internal training program. They basically pull people off their lawn crew and say, okay, you show up to work on time and we're, <laughs> we'll pull you in, we'll teach you how to run a lathe. 
because you can't find people that are trained. You can't find machinists. You, you know, this is every company in this area, and, and it's nationwide, right? If you're in Chicago, maybe you can find a machinist or two, but most of them are 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 uh, either retired or soon to retire, and so getting those new people in is is critical and. You know, nobody, no company is looking for somebody who knows how to run their process on their machine. They need to train that internally. Right? It's like you wouldn't take an auto mechanic and throw them on a, on a scooter mechanic without giving them some heads up on the differences. Um, so, you know, again, it's the training level is just it's basic shop. It's don't put your finger in the sharp stuff, and and you know, here's how you cut a piece of metal, and here's how you cut a piece of wood. And so we're actually setting up a, an apprenticeship program um, with CareerSource that uh, is going to start hopefully in the next couple of months. We're, we're working through the, the background on it. But that's what it is. It's a, it's a nationally certified apprenticeship program called Maker Professional, basic skills on a bunch of tools. And, and it's designed for, it's not engineering. You don't need any degrees. It's just how do, how do, you, make, how do you make one side of a piece of metal square to the other side? And basic stuff, and how do you not how do you not break the tool on your first day at work? Yeah, walk me so walk me through a little bit of the process mm-hmm. because just say like I have this idea for this great new tool that I'm inventing or mm-hmm. product I'm inventing. Yep. All right, I come and I, and I find you. Mm-hmm. Then what? Like so, what's, what's what, how, how do you start? What's the process? We sit down. Does it cost me anything? Uh, it doesn't cost you anything for the first first go around. It does cost to have us make it. We got to we got to keep the lights on. Um, the uh, and and what happens? We sit down. We try and get a really good feel for what the problem you're solving is, what your invention is. We have, of course, we sign non disclosures. That's one of the key things about what Tech Toy Bucks does. We make make sure that if it's not on a client's website, we don't say it. We we don't. Um, so understand the problem. We go back and as, as part of the process, we're not marketing experts, we're not intellectual property experts, but as part of the process, we have the interns do a quick search, make sure that you can't buy that same thing on Amazon. And every once in a while, we'll have a client come in and say, well, it's a great new invention, we'll find it on Amazon. And they'll say, well, yeah, but mine is blue. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I would buy the one for $15 on Amazon because it's gonna cost us $1,000 to build one. To build one, yeah, right. This is not a good business model. So, so we sit down, have that meeting. We go back with our team. Now we understand. We've done it enough times now that we can get a pretty good handle on the cost, what it's going to cost us to do it, um, and we give a we give a quote. We say, here's what it's going to take. Here's a rough time. The time is always a little flexible. Sometimes we get them early. Sometimes we get them late because you don't know the problems you're going to run into. Um, but generally we can, I want to say, I don't think we've not been able to build something, but I, I'm sure I'm wrong on that, but pretty much we can, you know, the ones that are perpetual motion machines, we can weed out pretty early and say, you know, we're like, we can't build that. But mm-hmm. most everything else, if somebody comes and says, can you, can you build it? The answer is yes. Um, and, uh, so we, we, you know, get, get a half Half up front, get down payment so we can buy parts, 
and then uh, we go to work. And there'll probably be you know eight or ten different interns working on it. We supervise. We have uh, three people on our staff, including myself, that are uh, kind of keep everybody going, make sure the tools get put away at the end of the day, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, and when we stay in touch with the client as things come up. Um, and uh, at the end of it, we deliver whatever the working ugly prototype is yeah. and, and a solution, right? We, here's the problems we ran into. Um, I can give you an example. I have, a, I have one client that's actually on the market now, so we can talk about okay, it. Okay, cool. Um, it's called Gut Check Indicators. The very uh, avid bow hunter from Virginia calls us. Says I, and I have a uh, I have a patent on an indicator for an arrow that will change color if the animal was shot in the gut. And I said, "Well, that's interesting. How are you going to do that?" He said, "That's your job. <laughs> <laughs> you make one and tell me how you did it." Didn't know how that was his patent was an indicator that would tell you if the animal was gut shot. I guess they track them. You have to track it more aggressively, right? He's a and usually the arrow goes through the animals, right? So they pick up the arrow, look at it. So we ended up figuring out some chemistry stuff. We created an inkjet, ink, that we modified at printer, and we printed him a 1,000 labels that will change color. He then, he was a good marketing guy. He went to a bunch of uh, uh, conventions, hunting conventions, um, got deals with major distributors, Took him about a year to find a manufacturer, to, to because he didn't want to manufacture it, um, and uh, yeah, he's selling them all over the country now. It's gut shot indicators, but that was the process. He came to us and said, "This is, here's my patent. Here's my idea. Run with it." And, and how long did that process take? It took us about two months, three months, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's kind of typical, right? Yeah. I, mean, I tried, it seems fast. Yeah, we try and keep everything in that three months just because philosophically that's that's about the time you have before your spouse says get a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I know the, the, the credit cards start to get maxed and you know, okay, get a job. We're trying to sort of bypass some of that. Yeah. And you know, we're it's funny. We're the vast majority of our projects are, you know, thousand dollar kind of numbers um we've done two hundred thousand dollar projects we installed a big uh pilot plant project for removing carbon dioxide from power plant flue gas it was a demonstration we installed in france built it here downtown disassembled it shipped it to france went over there for a couple of weeks and installed it and wow and that company's doing uh next steps now and in talks with big oil companies trying to uh sell it into power plants. It's a fantastic technology right here in Gainesville. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. How many companies or how many products would you say have you know come through there in the last few years? A few hundred. Yeah. Yeah. It's a few hundred. We're we're constantly busy. I have a backlog right now. I'm telling people that really? yeah, we're we're three or four weeks before we can start on other projects. Okay. And we have you know, and companies from all over the world that come to us and inventors and it's it's been everything like from this you know this uh pilot plant to big column that we built um that took a year and a half to build that and install it um everything from that to we've built we've made toilet brushes 
somebody said, you know, I, I have a patent on a different kind of a toilet brush. Uh, I'm still not allowed to say what kind it was, but <laughs> but I, you know, we kept telling them, I don't think this is marketable. It was somebody that this was their dream. They wanted to have a patent and be able to show their grandkids that here's the toilet brush that uh, that I invented. They were never going to sell them, but you know, it was a thousand dollar toilet brush. <laughs> Made them happy. Oh man. We we try and talk people like that out of it. Like you know, yeah. you can see the picture there. Yeah. Like, but, no, I mean, let me spend this think, thousand dollars. Did they actually the, think it was going to be marketable, or was this just like a novel? That was a form? that what they understood. That okay. One. But we do get people that think that you know. Again, I, I I'm going to generalize. You know, yeah, but mine is blue. Right. Yeah. Do you think that you know X Y Z company, the billion dollar company, if they thought they could sell blue? that they wouldn't be making blue in addition to the red and green ones that they already make. Yeah. As, Is so. there a lot of that, if you build it, they will come type mentality, I guess? There's some of that. and, and so It's like, oh, I got this great idea. Yeah. If I make it, for sure, I'm going to You don't realize millions. you want it yet because you don't know it exists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something we try and coach people out of. Yeah. Do some market research. You know, actually... Go talk to people that you think are going to buy. And this is especially a problem with, with techies, right? Geeks don't always understand what the world will buy. And I, I, you know, I know I'm generalizing. and I've, I've been, fortunately, I, I classify myself as a solid geek. But I've had a lot of feet in the real world <laughs> and spent a lot of time in, in selling things and making companies that, that either worked or didn't work. And so, you know, and to that, to that point, we actually, we're not a bunch of just pure manufacturers in the, in the make.work. We're putting artists in there. We've got, yeah. we've got a couple of artists in there because we want that interaction. We want, we want somebody to say, mm, that's ugly. You know, that, that phone looks like a brick. What if you just round the corners and put an <laughs> apple on the back? <laughs> Mike, have anything? I'm just, I'm still kind of fascinated by like where where the problems are like I, I don't know I'm, I'm not the youngest person in this room but I'm the youngest person that's on air here and I think about like <laughs> like I grew up with Legos and Tinker Toys and mm-hmm. Erector sets and stuff like that and I had wheel and in junior high school where you went around to did, did the arts class and the shop right. class and all that kind of stuff yeah but I also had my parents push me into college um I mean I don't want to say that unfairly, like I, I wanted to go, but but not a lot of people are going to trade trade school anymore or yeah. vocational stuff. So it's like, where where do you identify like the biggest problem along the way for this lack of lack of people? Is it is it on the early early stages that they're just not putting their hands on things, or is it is it what the parents have influence on that they're not pushing them down that? Path? Yeah, I think it's both of those, and and you know we have we have a societal problem where we've where we've denigrated that right. We've we've said over and over again that you know the way forward is college, the way forward is college, the way forward is college, and it's not for everybody, mm-hmm. right? It's it it's and even now, right? In the last probably five or six years, there's been a strong push to say, all right, you know, vocational school is great because we've got we've got shortages, right? We've got shortages of people. You can make a really good living as a plumber, right? right. A really good living. Mm-hmm. And everybody needs one. <laughs> and everybody needs one, right? You can make a really good living as a tool and die maker, right? You can make a really good living as a welder, right? 
Santa Fe, uh, uh, John McNeely, who who runs a lot of their vocational programs, said that he told me a few years ago that every single graduate of their welding program gets hired the day they graduate. <laughs> right? There's a shortage of welders. You can make good money. You can make sixty grand as a welder. That's I, you know, that's not bad living. Right? It's it's not cardiologist living, right. but not everybody's going to be a cardiologist. <laughs> And and welding's fun. But people just not know that's out there. Like I, I guess there's a we're not exposing kids to it as much. Um, and I think that's it's they're they're together, right? It's we're not exposing them as much because we've said, well, that's for others to do. Mm. You know, my kid is going to be a doctor, and it, it's it's silly, right? We're, we're Look who's coming out of UF. How many doctors come out of every graduating class at UF? You know, 0.1% or something? How many lawyers? Another, you know, 50% maybe? I don't know. Right. right. <laughs> but it's not... Um, there's, a, there's a strong push now to, to get the message out that these are really good jobs, right? I have a PhD in chemical engineering. I, I, but when I look back... The most satisfying job I ever had was as a framing carpenter. Mm. I was a framing carpenter for a few years. The most satisfying job I've ever had to this day. And it's actually really hard for me when we're remodeling this building not to get in there with a hammer and and and, and so hard that I get in there with a hammer <laughs> and nails every once in a while and got to build stuff. But, you know, we the shop classes in... in Alachua County have largely been shut down, right? We've, we've replaced the program at Lofton, the shop class, with robotics. Robotics is very valid, and we, that's a great program, but we also need people who have been exposed to welding. There's a uh, um, fellow who's left the area now, but uh, he worked for a company out in uh, Newberry, that, and he was instrumental in getting a shop class back into uh, uh, Newberry High School. And there's, there is a, a vocational program there now. I, I'm quite, frankly, I'm not sure what the state of it is now, but I, I suspect it's still going. Um, and every time we run this class that, that I mentioned before with the, the intro to manufacturing, it's just simple, come in and use a tool, right? We're gonna be looking over your shoulder and make sure you don't hurt yourself, but come in and make some metal chips, right? Mold some plastic. I, it's filled. Right. There's there's a there's an eagerness for that knowledge. Even the ones you always get one or two. This is stupid. I don't want to be here. Right? They get sitting off to the side, and I, then within an hour, oh, is that what is that is that metal melting? <laughs> let me let me try that. Like, yeah, and it's just neat stuff, right? And we're not saying that everybody that comes in is going to touch a you know touch a tool and be uh, you know forever a welder yeah fall in love but we need to have the opportunity for that and it goes back to what you were saying colin you can't do that on a tablet right and more and more we see we see parents who are putting their kids out and doing hands cave museum is doing a great job Mm -hmm. with a lot of their camps and classes and we work really closely with them Um, they tend to they tend to work with the younger kids really really well and we take them when they get to high school and put them in uh put them in a real shop and make spot sparks so um 
I, sometimes I wonder if it's more of like, I don't want to say parental pressure, but you know, I'm trying to like think back to when I was a kid and the thing that you always heard about was, oh, like you would go to college and then you're a doctor or a lawyer, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And now, and now it's like, okay, is that, has that changed? Is it now, okay, you, you, you know, go to college and then you're a code, you know, a computer science engineer? Are you like, are you writing code? Like, like is that, is, is that the new thing? Is it like, where, where did it shift, I guess? You know, like that, that's kind of how I'm framing it up in my head is that there's just been this shift to where now it's very, very tech, tech focused. And now, and now it just needs to be brought back, brought back around. I mean, I, I think it needs some, my mantra in life is balance. Yeah. Right. It needs to be a balance. You can't. If if everybody in the world is sitting there doing code, who's going to make breakfast? Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> seriously. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, it's like that's it. Even coders have to eat once in a while. I think it's a lot of how we define success, though. I mean, it I can, is. I can tell for I, my parents actually listen, so I don't want to like make it seem like I'm ungrateful or anything. But like, my mom would tell you that like she's not gonna be satisfied until I finish my degree. It doesn't matter if I'm a right. CEO of a company, if I've got lots of zeros in my bank account, if I'm happy, and so, like, yeah. she's gonna feel like she failed as a mom unless I finish my degree. And I don't know where that came from other than the fact that she didn't have the opportunity to go to college. Right. Mm. Well, I, yeah. well, it's because parents start defining their success based off their children's success. Right. And that is, I mean, I love yeah. you mom, but that's not, <laughs> not what you should be doing. Right. I mean, right. it's just not, like we should not define, I'm not gonna define my success yeah. off of my children's success and what I want them to do. It's a, it, like, it right. almost feels like it was an overreach though. Like, you know, and now I, at least I, I think we're, we're looking back at it and be like, okay, maybe, maybe we went a little too far down this path and it's time to go back and look and, and yeah. put value on those vocational jobs and these other things that maybe we were wrong to, or we've seen now that it wasn't the best thing to push people through or, I think well, that's exactly it. I think it, it, you know, the pendulum swings back and forth, and it's it's a question of if everybody was a coder, half the you know three quarters of the population would be unemployed, right? How many coders do you need? And and you know we we see that in almost every field, right? For a while there, there was a, there were too many doctors. For right. A while, well, right? I guess that's what I'm saying is like I think there's just a, a focus. Mm-hmm. Whether it's right right now, I feel like it's heavy tech. I mean, it is. forget coder, like I mean, yeah. but just tech in general, right. Um, right? And and that's and that's great. Like I I love living in this tech revolution, right. if you will. Like I absolutely love it. Great I mean, tools. it's yeah, yeah, incredible. The the amount of things that I can do with this device today, mm-hmm. this iPhone that I'm holding up is like incredible to me. Um, but but I think you know when we go back to like. I feel like we've always tried to define other people's happiness and we'd be like, okay, like, oh no, you're gonna go to college, you're gonna become the doctor right. or the lawyer, like this is this is this is what life has. Now that's yeah. shifted to okay, you're gonna graduate, now you're gonna be now you're gonna enter the, the tech world. Mm-hmm. Well no, like maybe if you wanna be like a scooter mechanic, like that that's a great living. Yep. And when and you can do a lot with that. And given the day and age where there's a this is super limited like there's a lot of opportunity for that's you. Right. And I, I think that's where people are missing it. And and I can say like, if my kid wants to be a scooter mechanic, all power to him. All I ask is that I want you to work your ass off so that you're the best damn scooter mechanic that's on the right. planet. Yep. 
you know, and not do anything half-assed. So like, <laughs> that's just like, my, my mentality is that I think we define, again, we're defining happiness on these, so the, I don't know, on something that's, I don't know. Do you? <laughs> I, yeah. Are you trying to? You see? I, what, like, yeah. I, like I don't yeah. want. I don't want like people to be defining happiness off of a type of job. I guess right. like a a yeah. tech job, a lawyer, doctor, like whatever it is. Like no, the like you have to define success for yourself. And if that's you know, for me, I think it's just being happy, right? And loving what you do. Like yeah. if you wake up every single day loving what you do, right. right? Then that's the right thing to be doing. Yeah. If you if yep. not, then you then you need a change. Right. I think that um, I, I I was just formulating some of this. Had a really interesting conversation with a friend last week on this same subject, actually. And from my viewpoint, I think we've become I, I think of it as a superlative society. We want to be. I want the best. I'm not going to be happy until I got the best. Right. I well, I've got a really nice car, but my neighbor has a BMW. And so mine's not the best anymore. So I'm going to have to go and do something I hate, or you know, take out a, a, another mortgage on the house to get the BMW. And well, the BMW isn't going to make you happy either because now there's a Tesla, right? And and I but think the, it I think it takes away from appreciating what you have, right? Uh, being appreciative of where you are today and what you're good at, and being happy, being whoever you are. Be doing the best you can within that. Yes, but the biggest problem in what you just said mm-hmm. is that we care too much about what other people think right. of Social media. what we're driving. <laughs> yes. That's right. Like we right. care too much that of right. like, oh, I have to be perceived <laughs> as this, you know, yeah. really great whatever, and yeah. so that's why the BMW is so important because I care yeah. about what you think of me. Yeah, like that's that's the world we live in when really like I mean just so y'all know like the front bumper of my <laughs> 2006 is like, I don't even know what year it is 2006 Honda Civic is like literally zip tied on yeah. <laughs> yep. and I don't give a damn what you think of me <laughs> you know what I mean that thing is paid for yep. I do not have a car payment That's right. it's got 140,000 miles on it and I hope it lasts <laughs> me till 300,000 miles because I will zip tie every freaking piece <laughs> back onto that car if I could keep driving it because I, I don't a, give a damn yep. what you think that's of me right. maybe Mark but can get you a clamp for it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we, get, we have some glue for that yeah <laughs> but I, but the, but that's just the truth we get so wrapped up in what other people think that that BMW no, that, is so important I think to that's, people I think that's exactly right and we're told that that matters right that's what that's what our, our society tells us is that those things matter and I can tell you generalizing because everybody's just like me, right? The older I get, the less that matters. I really, I, there are people that I just love to death. If somebody didn't like the fact that I drive a 2002 dented up Explorer with 320,000 miles on it, okay, that's fine. I, I'm sorry you don't like it, but it works for me. I don't care anymore, <laughs> and I used to, right? I, I, but I got over it, and and life's happier not worrying about that kind of stuff. It's, I have to, you have to look at things within your own set of values and your own set of uh, of uh, uh, priorities. I think. Yeah. So. It's an inter- interesting uh, conversation for sure. One <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a wandering conversation. So, yeah. yeah, social media has a huge part to play in that too. But speaking to your mic. Oh. 
<laughs> Speaking your mic, Mike. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to be high because we, we were talking about my posture earlier, how I slouch, <laughs> and now I've, I've got all these things going through my mind. But no, I mean, social media has a huge, huge part to play in that, in that constant like comparing lives to each other, and and the way our brains have evolved through through use of social media too. But I don't. That's probably a, a different topic for a different day. But I, I think that that is like a huge part of it, and I do see like people that don't engage that much, whether it's because of age or anything, like they just, they're less likely to care about what everybody else has. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's fascinating too. Well, it's funny because, I mean, you're right, this is going in a completely different direction (laughs) and we don't have time to like really dive into this, but we will some other time, I'm sure. Um, I recently made a post talking about how the best personal brands are that personal. Like they're real, they're authentic. The people who actually get on, because social media, especially over the last 15 years, has been very much a like painting the best picture of yourself, right? Like you just said, mm-hmm. putting that, putting that out there, putting, you know, you put, you know, the best pictures. You're not, you're not talking about like the the terrible things that are necessarily happening. But yet, yet there's a select few. There's just a few people that do right. They get on these Instagram stories and they start like telling it how it really is. And they start sharing some of the more emotional, deeper moments of their life, their struggles or challenges or whatever. It's more authentic. And and boom, what happens? People start to connect. People start, oh my gosh, like I go through this too. People start to actually resonate with the message because it's real and it's authentic. And those build those, those people end up building some of the better personal brands. Um, because because they are being he, real human, they're building human connection. So, uh, but you're right. That's we could dive. That's yeah. something I could totally spend another hour and a half diving the, into. The social media king over here. I mean, I love. I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by people's behaviors and and why. I'm fascinated by why people will go and spend all the money on a BMW just to impress their friends. Yeah, I, I'm like I'm seriously impressed by it. Well, like. Or live, or live in a particular neighborhood. Yeah. Just to, you know, or I mean, like there, I you used could, to do you that. could go on and, and on and yeah. on. I, I used to do that, and I can tell you, you know, having done both, I'm really a lot happier not doing that. You know, I wonder <laughs> if it's the, I wonder if it's a, an entrepreneur thing. And the reason, and the way I say that, the reason I say this is because I would, I would have told you when I was in college, actually with one of my best friends who now lives out in California, he and I looked at each other when we were in college and said, yo dude, when we're 30 years old, we're going to buy a Porsche. <laughs> like, we, like we said that, we're like, we're yeah. going to do it. Yeah. And I mean, sure enough, by the time I was 30, I mean, it would have been a big payment, but like yeah. I could have, yeah. I could have had one. Yeah. But, but I, when I had made that statement, I wasn't an entrepreneur. I was a I was a college kid right. that was putting value on possessions, mm-hmm. and by the time I was thirty, I was you know I'm running a company now for yeah. several years, yeah. and I'm like the last thing that I'm going to do is put money into these <laughs> into this like automobile that where I could you know, now put this money back into my business right. and fuel right. the growth of my company. Mm-hmm. You know, now I say that, but in like what, 2000, 2004, 2005, talk about the, hot the tub. first thing I bought was an $8,000 <laughs> hot tub when I, when, I felt like, when I felt like things were clicking. I love when that story I comes bought up. A, I, bought, <laughs> I bought a house and the first thing I bought for this house is $8,000 hot tub. Now, and I look at it and I've said it multiple times, I look back at that and I'm like, damn, that was so stupid. It's like, I was so stupid. 
Because I would have invested, I should have yeah. like put that money right back into the company yeah. and not pulled any of, yeah. any of it out. And I've learned that lesson because now, you know, my wife is begging me to bring money home to pay the mortgage. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but I mean, do we really need? I mean, what's the late fee? Like, what's like? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. do we really yeah. have Can to we... pay it this month? Like, yeah. Can we get by? Yeah. <laughs> you know. So it's it's funny because now I try to keep everything in the yeah. companies, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's I'm sure it's maturity. I'm sure it's growth. As, as an individual, but uh, but I still What's the mis- have multiple it's the mistakes friends. along the ways. I, I don't even think of them as mistakes. It's it's the lessons you learn, right? Yeah. It's you look back at it and you say, well, you know, I could have used that eight thousand dollars and yeah. you know, would have doubled it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I um, I think I, I think you're right. I think it is something about being an entrepreneur. It's also um, also with being an entrepreneur, it's it's about being open to those lessons, right? Being open to that. I used to tell my graduate students when I was still at UF that um, I love to be wrong. Mm. And I still have that. I love to be, that's when I learned something. If I, if, you know, if they would come, I, now if they just came in and said, you're wrong, well, that's not interesting at all, mm. right? But if they come in and say, you're wrong and here's why, that's really cool, and I still am that way. And it's really valuable as an entrepreneur to be able to say, whoops, that's not working. I thought that was gonna work, but I'm wrong. Learn that, and say, okay, you know, you have to be able to accept that you're not right about everything, yeah. right? And I think that I think that's tied, that same mentality is tied into the, well, do I really need that Porsche, mm-hmm. right? I, I, you know. The answer's no. <laughs> the, answer is, the answer is almost I mean, I, always like, no, yeah. I mean, don't get me. It's don't, a toy. It's like, a nice toy, wrong, but it's like, a toy. <laughs> and, and and you're going to have things that you are passionate about, Absolutely. right? Like, I mean, if it's a, I'm not hating on people who love Porsches or anything, like, if you love Porsches, great. Like, yeah. I just realized that I didn't and I didn't need yeah. to, to spend to spin that but there's plenty of things that I could totally see having in my future like I grew up on the water you know like my parents had a boat Mm -hmm. and it was one of the greatest things that we ever had the best toy you know that that we had as as you know kids growing up Mm -hmm. I could totally see myself having a boat one day so I'm not saying I'm not gonna splurge and not buy a boat one day but like um but it's more of the reason, like why, like right. why do you have it? So you know, yeah, like, it's is a it, personal is it, reason. Yeah, or yeah. Are you trying to impress somebody? Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's. I don't. I, it's definitely yeah. an interesting, you know, thing to think about. I guess. But anyway, we need to to wrap this up. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. If so, if somebody has like an idea that they want to create. I mean, what's the best way? Should they go to a website? Should they reach out to you directly? Like, what's the best way to get it? Like, Mark at thetechtoybox.org. Okay, and that has the in it. The Tech Toy the Box. The Tech Toy yep. Box dot org. Yep. And just reach out to you. you can and reach they out. Can. Yeah, we've got a Facebook page. You can reach out there too. Our cool. website is under construction, reconstruction. So nice. You may or may it may or may not work when you get there for the next <laughs> couple of weeks. All right, so. cool. Well, again, thanks, Mike. Any last words, man? I mean, I really wanted to talk about the Game of Thrones coffee cup, but we might not have enough time for that. <laughs> Dude, that was, okay, yeah, so that was insane. I, all right, real quick, uh, let's get, I mean, we pull, pull some others. Um, I mean, this was like a couple, couple nights ago, technically, because we're, well, I don't know what today is. Today's May 7th? Yeah. We're recording May 7th. This, I know you, you guys listening, this is like June 10th when this comes out, but like, all right, so... 
this this Game of Thrones coffee cup was left in this shot during the episode this past week, right? Now everybody's talking. Everybody's like, you know, the first <laughs> I laugh at Ronald. Ronald's like, oh, you see, like even the pros, like big time, like <laughs> experts, are le- like leave a coffee cup in in a shot. And he I'm just like, bought himself a giant excuse for the next time he screws up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, dude, this is my perspective. I'm like, dude, do not be fooled. Do not be fooled, all right? Like this is this is what we call adding another log to the fire because there's been so much Game of Thrones talk, right? With the release of the new season, blah, blah. what uh, what better way to keep people just talking and talking and talking and talking about it than leaving a coffee cup in one of the scenes? <laughs> Right, that is the most. I mean, from this is coming from your market, one of your marketing experts here. Like, <laughs> that is brilliant, brilliant marketing is what we call that, Ronald marketing. That was one hundred percent intentional. I don't care what anybody says. Like, there's no way that just got missed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna chime in. I don't know. If the yeah, come over here and chime in. Here, sit on that mic. Hurry, hurry. You only got a couple minutes. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's chime in. You make excuses. As a for filmmaker, the... <laughs> if I had that type of show, this podcast just uh, went a completely different direction. Everybody, it's going everywhere. we were about to wrap up, but no, like if I had that type of show, I would respect my show too much to kind of jeopardize it just for marketing. Especially when my show already makes a ton of money. That show does not need more money, right? They're making billions off that show. I just. Starbucks. That it's a marketing ploy. I don't think there's, Mark, there's a mark, number. Definitely marketing. So. Thank, ah, thank you. If nobody, I was making a show, the director of the show, if I was the producer and the director, there's no money Starbucks could give me to even jeopardize it just a little bit, my story. There's no. Do you think Starbucks had a play in it? Or do you think it was just. It was, wasn't Starbucks. It was okay. a local coffee shop. It was. Shop. It was. Yeah, which, oh, which actually goes even more to the marketing. I mean, but the cup, it's always about it's the just, cup. Just, it looks just, it looks no, like a Starbucks like cup. Everybody, that's good on Starbucks part because now everybody assumes it's, it's Starbucks and now, now Starbucks, Starbucks is benefiting yeah. too. Do you think there's like collateral damage there? I mean, I know a lot of like Game of Thrones purists and, and we were talking about it before we started. Like it kind of ruined Are it. Are they not going to watch the last two episodes no, or three episodes, like, whatever's left? Watch. You're talking about something though that people really care about in this universe, right? And and I, I joke with Allison, there was, there was that one episode, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but that Ed Sheeran showed up and it, she, she talked about it today about how that ruined the entire series Are you for serious? Yeah. And Dude, 90% of the world didn't know. <laughs> like, I mean, I, like, I couldn't have told you. Like, I mean, I don't point. see I'm Ed Sheeran enough point. to know, oh, that's Ed Sheeran. Yeah, like, no. man, at least but I'm on that same personally. point. I'm like, is it worth, with that money making so much money, is it worth a local, what number could I, what number could Starbucks throw at me for me to be like, I'm going to jeopardize my show. Why was Starbucks cup sitting in this scene? She might have been drinking coffee while she was, and she just set it down. And I hope you know action. that shot probably took eight hours to take. They hit action, and you're, and then you're saying in post edit, like editing all, like going through that. They saying, miss it, man. They, they missed it. They you're missed saying it. they missed it, and they could have just taken it right out. And they, they saw, and all the people who like are in charge of previewing and making sure everything's good, every one of them missed it. Maybe it was that pass the buck mentality where someone thought someone else would catch it. Or is it or is this like <laughs> it does go through like Or maybe hands or maybe they did maybe they did catch it, but it was Saturday night and it was too late to edit it out. <laughs> like, oh the episode know. releases tomorrow. Like I don't know. It was there on purpose. Yeah, it was there on, on purpose. purpose. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, this would be fun. Okay, so uh, like 
the comments. Sounds like an Instagram poll. Yeah, everybody, Instagram. I don't know, Instagram. Hey, okay. Okay, Let's do an Instagram poll right now, Genesis. Shout out to Jen. All right, Genesis. (laughs) Podcast, are you just recording stories? Yeah. Okay, podcast world, we want to know if you think the cup was left inside of the Game of Thrones episode, the Starbucks, not Starbucks cup, the coffee cup. We we weren't sure if it's Starbucks or not. Mark (laughs) says no. (laughs) But... Was the coffee cup left in Game of Thrones on purpose as a marketing ploy? Hit us up, yes or no, let us know. Should All someone right. get a promotion or should someone get fired? All right, so that, we just did that for Instagram. <laughs> oh, and we're still recording. Okay, so we gotta go. <laughs> we gotta go, but world, world, everybody podcast, thank you so much for listening. Mark, thank you again for being here. This thank was you. a lot of fun. Um, you guys, appreciate yeah, you both. Thanks to my mom and dad, too. I, I didn't want to like say anything bad about them. <laughs> no, dude, mom and dad. No, mom, mom, mom and dad, you know, I love you, too. I mean, and, and I really love this guy and everything he's done for us, so. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean. Thanks for listening too, Mom and Dad. You're awesome. But uh, in Genesis, thank you for all your great social media stuff. And okay, we're out. This is the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make it go whoa. We will see you later. Bye.